You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do this. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Bruce Adams and Marty Foster. Let's go ahead and get started this evening. It's nice to see you again, Marty. It's been a while. How were you? Or how are you? How was your uh, very time well. away? Uh, well, busy. I've been very busy with work, actual work. It's disgraceful. But there you ah, go. The, the humanity of it all. The humanity of it I all. I know. Well, uh, today we're going to finish. Bruce, it's good to see you too, before I get started into my long uh, intro here. Yeah, thank you. Keep it short. Yep, we got a lot to cover tonight, and we have quite a bit to do this evening behind the scenes. So we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to move tonight. What we're going to do is part three of UN Agenda 2030. And if you have not caught up to us at this point, we've had to break this down into three different parts uh, of the 17 goals of UN Agenda 2030. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna start right here where we left off. Uh, we ended the last time on point nine, so we're gonna start in on point ten now. Uh, for anyone that hasn't caught us up to this point, please go back and listen to part one, part two. If you're interested in this topic, uh, this is uh, this is quite a um, it, it's quite a heavy subject. Uh, and this is uh, this is coming out of the United Nations. And this is their stated goal for the year to have all this completed by 2030. So and this is for every country. Uh, so we're going to uh, we're going to go ahead and move on this. All right. Goal number 10 reduced inequalities. And they're saying that the goal for this is to reduce inequality within and among countries. That's very broad. And a lot of this is I've noticed as we go down through this, a lot of this is very broad. It's 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 almost as though they can use it and twist it to whatever agenda fits the narrative that they're trying to push. So they're saying that, of course, this has to all be tied into COVID-19, which that's what they're doing to try and, you know, nudge this agenda forward. But they say that, uh, you know, on the economic fronts, uh, COVID-19 pandemic has significantly increased global unemployment and dramatically slashed workers' incomes. Well, that's because they wanted to shut everything down. So that was done on purpose. But they're talking about, of course, everything turns into uh, into COVID with this. However, they do get into, once you start getting into like the target goals of this, there's a, um, there's a section here with target goals down at the end. Now, for anyone who doesn't know where we're getting all this information, it's right from the UN's website, un.org. And you can go under sustainable development and look that up. Or you can just Bing search, Google search, whatever search engine you use, and you can type in UN Agenda 2030, and it will take you to this page. Yeah, that'll usually be the top search result, and you can see exactly what we're talking about. But down in the target goals of this, some of the things that are in here say that by 2030, they're looking to empower and promote the social, economic, and political inclusion of all irrespective of age, sex, disability, race, ethnicity, origin, religion, or economic or other status. That sounds to me like they want to eliminate all competition, ensure equal opportunity and reduced inequalities of outcome, including by eliminating discriminatory laws, which in the West, we don't have any of those. As a matter of fact, well, we're starting to re-implement them under this nonsense agenda that we're following now. Policies, mm. practices, and promoting appropriate legislation, policies, and action in this, in this regard. So they want to continue on affirmative action. That's what it sounds like. Well, um, I, I think affirmative action is discriminatory, but it is. It is. And it's uh, but it's it's reverse discrimination is what is what it is. It's like they mm -hmm. it, 
it's discrimination, but it's in the opposite direction. It's like you've you've gotten rid of discrimination and you've replaced it with discrimination. Yeah. So it's uh, it's what they refer to as positive discrimination. Adopt policies, especially fiscal wage and social protection policies and progressively achieve greater equality. Well, that doesn't sound broad or anything. But anyway, okay. so what part of this uh, stands out to uh, stands out to you guys? Which part of this do you think that we need to key in on here that we're, we're kind of possibly overlooking? Because this is a very broad goal to have. This is not something that you can just say, okay, well, we're going to target this particular uh, country. We're going to target this particular employer. We're going to target this particular group of people. That's not what they're doing here. They're saying, oh, well, it's going to be open to all. Okay, so you don't have any competition. So nothing's based on merit. That's what it sounds like to me. I'm taking away from this is that they're eliminating the merit system, which we all know that when you go from shareholder capitalism into this stakeholder capitalism garbage that Davos, the Davos group is talking about, you're getting rid of, well, essentially capitalism, although they're still going to call it that. But they're getting rid of that system. They're getting rid of the merit-based system. So you're not brought into a company based on your achievements and, and your your skill. You're brought in based on whatever this nonsense is. Yeah. You should be brought into a company based on your ability to perform the task. Now, in the developed world, we've got lots of opportunity for people with disabilities. Uh, there's all kinds of access for people with wheelchairs. A new building can't be built unless it complies with certain standards for disabled access. But do we really think the developing world are going to pay any attention to that? If the UN, and I really don't see why this is their business, why it's any business of theirs at all, actually, um, surely each sovereign state is, is responsible for its own GDP and its own affluence. But do we really think that the developing nations are going to take this bone that the UN are throwing them and try to make it for, you know, disabled people, for people that are already discriminated against within uh, the developing countries' own societies? Or are they going to put their, you know, their able-bodied, probably all male, you know, totally uh, non-diverse uh, workforce into these new ideas and these these new projects because I don't I don't think they will I, I, I don't think they're, they're, they're going to be no. you know making more work for people with disabilities people you know it, no, it's not going to happen so everything about so automation is to get rid of jobs it is I, I think I said that just a few nights ago but yeah these rules these this policy cannot be applied equally across the developed world and the um, developing world. There's a saying, isn't there? Rob Peter to pay Paul. So this is in inside the developed world, they're going to be robbing the people who are already successful, gainfully employed to put jobs towards people who have been disadvantaged, whether it be through disability or laziness seems to be a disability as well these days. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so so there's there's going to be that trade-off, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul inside developed countries. And there's the developed com countries are going to be uh, deprived of business opportunities to advantage in this positive discrimination policy to advantage the developing countries. So, you know, who, honestly, they're an unelected body 
the fact that countries join the United Nations because if they don't, they don't get a say, just like the EU, really. That's the, you know, the, the only reason why it's got 27 or 26 member states at the moment, because if they didn't, if they weren't part of it, they wouldn't get a say. And it's the same with the UN. Who do they think they are? What, why are they suddenly deciding which countries should be favoured amongst their membership, which is just about every country in the world? Yeah, I think it's because they're doubling down. They're, they're doubling down. And it's they hit uh, Agenda 21. Okay, Agenda 21. The target there was 2020. Okay, 2020, where are we? We're at 2020, right? We've got COVID. That is uh, an, an organized thing that's being carried out by who? You know, literally who? <laughs> World Health Organization, which is the United Nations. And the United Nations is looking to make a power play on this. But Bruce and I talked about it uh, yesterday and the day before. They're in the bunker, right, to use a World War II analogy when the uh, the allies were closing in on Berlin. This is their last stand. This is, in my opinion, that's that's where they are. And they don't have anything else to lose. I mean, what did I tell you back when we did the uh, the New World Order podcast? I said, it's two outs bottom of the ninth, right? They're swinging for the fences. They got all their chips on the table to use a uh, to use a roulette wheel uh, analogy. They got nothing left. This is it for them. So who do they think they are? They think that they are the United Nations and they think that they are going to take over a, uh, a world governmental body. And, and let's be honest. Let, let's be honest here. Do we kind of have an idea as to who might be behind the United Nations? Possibly a country that's very big and in the process of expanding and, I don't know, kind of setting world policy just, using just the China. WHO? Just, uh, just, well, just I mean, I wasn't going to come right out and say it, uh, but that's but, that's what it seems but, to be. But where's the money coming from? You see, well, the, the, United, the United Nations is populated by people sent by each of the member state governments. And, and I said this the other night, I don't believe for a moment that all 197 or 195 countries have got an equal say. They most certainly haven't. No. So does that mean that with these kind of policies, that effectively our own governments will deliberately disadvantage developed countries to advantage the undeveloped countries? What happens when you do that, it just makes products cheaper. It actually drives prices down because you've got a, a labor force that will work for a lot less because the cost of living in those countries that are developing is mm -hmm. a damn sight lower than it is in, in the developed world. So is it governments that are doing this? And it will be the top governments of the big countries of the US, of China, of Russia, of India, the UK as well. Are they behind this? Are the governments actually behind the, these policies? Or is it the World Bank? You know, the, the, the central banks, which aren't, as most people think, you know, national and international organizations. They are privately owned by the Rockefellers and, and the Rothschilds. Mm -hmm. the, the, you know, they, they own these world banks. Always follow the money. And in this particular case, I think it won't lead directly to the Chinese Communist Party, mm -hmm. but it will lead to those ones that you know, manage to stay out of the picture, but still pull the strings. And world banks, central banks, they're the ones who are driving this. And it will, they don't care what happens to us, those that have scrimped and scraped and, and, you know, almost got there. 
None of us are fabul- fabulously wealthy, but we're still going to lose out because of these policies, because we live in a developed country and they're going to start to try to make sure that any advantage we have is taken away and those advantages given to the developing world. And next up on Agenda 2030, episode six. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, right. You can, cut, you can cut as much of that as you like. Well, Sorry. no, I, th- I think you're right. I, I think you're right. And it is it is the big uh, the big corrupt finance capital behind that, yes, the organizations like the World Bank, organizations like the IMF, uh, the Rockefellers, the uh, the Rothschilds, the, these are the usual suspects. And you can throw others like, you know, our friend George Soros in there as well. You know, he's a he's small potatoes compared to some of the other ones. But nonetheless, I, I think it, it is that because you have governments like we've talked about over the last you know couple of weeks as it relates to all this COVID stuff. Governments are scared. They're just doing what they're told. Same thing when we talked about the World Economic Forum. Governments don't have a plan. They, they don't care about any of this stuff. They're being told to maintain. And what's the plan going forward under plans like this and under plans like the, uh, the Great Reset? Governments are to become irrelevant. They will be, quote, tasked with carrying out the agendas of the higher ups, like you're speaking of, the financiers, the finance capital. That's what it is. That's their only task. They are not to represent us anymore. That's being removed. They're looking to end that way. So uh, our representative forms of democracy, I I don't think this is quite resonating with people yet. I, I really don't. Because I mean, I'm still talking to people today and they're still like, they're talking about things that are completely superficial. And when you try to explain to them just a little bit, just a little bit about what's going on, they talk about how you're superficial, right? That's like it's I, I don't I don't even know how to drill down into a subject and, and get people to understand. Well, um, let, let's let's um, rattle the tuning fork off the tin helmet of goal 11 and see if that creates resonance. Yeah, yeah, because this right here. here go ahead, Bruce. I'll do my two points real quick and I'll, yes, I'll make it brief. Ahead. Okay. Um, oh, sorry, the, the two, yeah, you guys are fine. The, the two that really stand out to me, right, is uh, ten four, uh, adopt policies, especially fiscal, wage, and social protection policies, uh, mm-hmm. progressively achieve greater equality. Wage, what does that mean? You're a CEO of a company, you get paid the same as the whatever the lowest position is, uh, the guy in the mailroom or whatever, right? You're going to get paid the same because that's equality, right? Social protection policies, that means you get fired from your job, whatever, you're going to get government pay, I guess. I, I Honestly, I, I don't really know what that is. But the idea of you being paid based on merit is going to be gone uh, with that. The next one that stands out to me, and, and this one specifically, is facilitate orderly, safe, regular, and responsible migration and mobility of people, including through the implementation of planned and well-managed migration policies. Uh, open borders, basically, uh, you'll be able to travel freely among the, any nation, uh, as long as you have the approved passport and, um, that that's Gee, not a problem at that, all. Right. What hmm. could that be? Common pass for, for example, could, could uh, yeah. be. Yeah. 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 Okay. So number 11, as you were stating, Marty, number 11, sustainable cities and communities. Well, just so happens there's a lot of urban real estate that could possibly be at bargain basement prices in the U.S. Right, Bruce? We're seeing a mass exodus coming out of the cities. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to point to statistics. New York City, for example, uh, we're seeing prices drop for apartments anywhere from 30 to 40 percent uh, mm-hmm. because of the, the uh, mass migration. And tens of thousands of vacancies. The cities are being flushed. And so 
what are you going to have? We talked a little on it yesterday, and I, I think you're on the right track there. They're going to re-engineer these cities. They're going to go in there. Big finance is going to go in there like you were talking about, Marty, World Bank and all these other organizations. They're going to go in there. They're going to buy up all this real estate for pennies on the dollar. They're going to re-engineer it. They're going to re-engineer it into these plastic cities that you're going to pay a premium for. When we looked at Agenda 21 10 years ago, right? some of us pulled that document right from the UN, and in there, they didn't speak specifically of, you have to learn their terminology. They didn't speak specifically of, say, like an apartment or a flat or a home or anything like that. Where you lived was to be considered a, quote, domicile. And in there, they state, or they stated, uh, I haven't seen it in 2030 yet, but I can't imagine it would change. If anything, I think it would get smaller. They say in Agenda 21, according to that system, in one of these cities, you will live in, ex excuse me, let, me, let me frame this up a little bit better. A, quote, well-to-do family of four shall occupy a space, a living space, a domicile, no larger than 250 square feet. A well-to-do family of four. That's what it's going to be. And the price of getting in these cities. And I, I got laughed at a few months ago when I said, yeah, wait till they start creating these bubble cities. And they said, what do you mean bubble cities? What the hell are you talking about? And I said, so this is before COVID. I said, they're going to, I said, I don't know how I said, but I haven't figured out how they're going to do it yet. But they're going to re-engineer these cities and they're going to create the environments in there to, quote, be sustainable and green and, and you know, all this, all this stuff. And in order to live there, this is all going to co coincide with like social credit. You're going to have to have a certain score in order to live there. You're going to have to conform to certain things. You're going to have to adopt probably the common pass that Bruce and I touched on uh, last week when we talked about the digital dark age. We got another uh, segment in that coming up tomorrow. Uh, be sure and check that out. But it's going to be that. And everything in there is going to be tracked, traced, and controlled. You're going to be monitored 24-7 living in that. Everything. But that's why I said it's going to be, quote, bubble cities, just like they're doing with these athletes now. See, they're starting to get you used to those terms, bubbles. And they're already beta testing, I think, exactly this, the track, trace, and control method on university campuses in the United States. Because what are they saying? Oh, uh, we have to keep the students in a bubble. We have to make sure that that all of their needs are, are met and everything's done on campus. You can only shop at, quote, approved businesses. You can only go and visit these people. If you leave, then you need to get authorization a week ahead of time. And it's possible that it could be rejected. And then when you return, you have to go through all this. And that's what it's going to be. That's what it's going to be. But looking at some of the target goals in this, they say that by 2030, they need to ensure access to look, hear me on this one. By 2030, they need to ensure access for all to adequate, safe and affordable housing and basic services and upgrade slums. Well, OK, a few things on this. First of all, when you start saying that housing is as a human right, that's Marxism. That's that's Marx 101. That's a construct of the Marxist revolution. When you start saying that uh, housing is a, is a human right now. I know that we can differ a little bit on that. I, I can understand that. But this also goes down the lines of creating a world in which a person has dignity. If you give them everything, if you give them stuff, as we've done in the US for the better part of 50 years now, look what it's caused. Look at the degradation of society. Look at the attitudes you see in people. Look at the average entitled moronic millennial out there. You know, look at look at the average person out there that, that has no ambition, no drive. They look like they had their soul sucked out. They're not fulfilled. They don't know what to do because they've been given everything. They don't know how to work for anything. They don't have any dignity about themselves because they've never had to work for something in order to better themselves. 
adequate. Okay, what's adequate? 250 square feet for a well-to-do family of four? Is that adequate? Is that adequate enough? Safe. Okay, what's safe? Is it going to be the bubbles like we're talking about, where everything's going to be tracked, traced, and controlled? Everything's going to be monitored by social credit? Affordable housing. Affordable housing. Well, what's affordable? What's affordable? Because everything about this system here is making you pay more for less, as we talked about with Mr. Brabig, the head of the Nestle company. Five gallons of water a day. That's all you have. And what does that translate into? For those of us that do have uh, the systems here in the developed world, that means no running water for your house. Five gallons of water a day. Basic services. Okay. I would assume they're looking at probably sanitation services, things like that. Basic services. And upgrade slums. Okay. They've been looking to upgrade slums for 100 years in the United States. 100 years. Okay. I remember reading about it back in the 1920s. I remember reading the conditions back in the 1920s. The easiest way to upgrade slums? It's simple. You don't continue to fund the slums. You offer them opportunity to lift themselves up. See, politicians always come along and they say, oh, well, we're going to do this because we're going to eliminate this. See, politicians, they always throw you chicken feed, right? They always throw you lines about we're going to give you this free. We're going to give you that free. But see, when they give that to you, then you have no value behind it. There's no worth in it for you. There's no uh, drive from you or as the community to put something back into it so everyone benefits and it lifts everyone else up. So this is the danger when you have a government saying they're going to give you everything. It's the utopian promise time and again, right? That's what it is. And it's just like, what's his name? Uh, Jeremy Corbyn, the, the guy that was the last leader of the Labor Party in the UK, was doing what on the campaign trail the last time around? Offering everybody that sky, that pie in the sky promise. University tuition, free college and free Wi-Fi and, and God only knows what else. Same thing that the American left are doing, not just the Democrat Party, but the Democratic Socialists of America, the Revolutionary Communist Party. People like Bernie Sanders, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez offering people the world anything they can do to offer people something, everything that they can do. They'll give people whatever they want, right? They'll sell whatever they want in order to get people on their side to join their cause. And that's what the UN's doing here. The same thing is happening in UK cities. The high street is dying. Small, unique retail outlets are disappearing. It's all moving into the big incorporated companies and they're moving their sites out of the city. So recent suggestions by the CBI, the UK CBI, the CBI are suggesting that the, the high street is dying and cities are going to become empty and what to do with all the office blocks. Their suggestion is to turn them into flats, into apartments. So when you get more people moving into the city, because in our cities at the moment, hardly anyone lives there. They all live in the, the suburbs and they commute in every day. The cities are, are occupied by businesses and, and office mm -hmm. blocks. So if they're going to turn those into the people's homes, then the supporting businesses will start to get a revival. So restaurants, bars, convenience stores, those kind of things will get a resurgence inside the city once more people move in. Now, the point about uh, a well-to-do family of four living in 250 square feet, UK houses are small. It's not about whether the, 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 the size of the house, but the fact the majority of us live in freehold homes that we can own. These buildings in the city, if they were to be turned into apartments, would be leasehold. And it's one more step to creating that race of, well, a slave workforce of zero assets, no mm -hmm. one owning anything. You never own your own home. I actually believe it is a human right 
to own your own home. But that right comes with uh, responsibilities. And those responsibilities are you've got to earn it. You've got to pay for it. You've got to maintain it. So, yeah, this whole goal 11 seems innocuous, seems like a nice thing for the UN to be trying to do to give people safe homes and give us sustainable environments. But it's just one more step to a zero asset slave race. A couple things. One, CBI is the Confederation of British Industry. And That's right, two, yes. And two, for those that are listening outside of the U.S. that are on the metric system, 250 square feet translates into 23 square meters. So if you can imagine a family of four living in a 23 square meter domicile, that's all you would have. Uh, Sustainable cities. um, I think we're going to talk more on some of the possible agendas they're going to use for this. Uh, We've seen California propose this idea before. Yes, we are talking about Uh, that tomorrow. I I believe we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, So some of the stuff that they're talking about here is reducing uh, the damage, uh, both economically and as far as uh, uh, infrastructure and housing from natural disasters. Now, we we know from Agenda 21, I was skimming over it to see if I could find it quickly, uh, which I did not. But in Agenda 21... We know the map of where you can and can't live uh, for protection of the environment and reduction of um, natural disasters and that sort of thing for for these locations means 90 percent of the United States, for example, is non-livable. You you can't live there, whereas uh, minor places around uh, the U.S. would be allowed to have people with clearance to go in them and the rest are no human beings should be there at all. This is part of this. It seems like this is part of the agenda here. They don't directly say it, but how do you reduce natural disasters unless you plan to restrict on where people can and can't live? Because we don't have control of the weather. So they're wanting to adopt more policies for cities and settlements to um, have integrated policies towards inclusion, resource efficiency, mitigation, adaptation to climate change, resilience disasters, and develop the and develop and implement in line with the Sendai Framework for Disaster Risk Reduction 2015 to 2030. Um, uh, Looking over, I kind of skimmed over that one as well. Um, Again, it fits with that basic agenda of they're going to tell you where you can and can't live in your own country. Um, And the only way to pack in the people is to exactly what you're saying, 250 square feet domicile for a well-to-do family of four. That's going Mm -hmm. to be the basic trend. And don't forget, which we're going to talk about this one in in point number 12 here. Uh, Another part of Agenda 21. All right. I'll tell you what. Agenda 20. Let's stay with 2030. So 2030, right? Point number 12, responsible consumption and production. Well, part of something that was transferred over from Agenda 21 is now part of Agenda 2030. Meat, any type of animal protein, I believe is how they put it, is to be considered a rare delicacy. So uh, they want to take away animal protein from you. Now, let me explain what that does. You think, okay, well, uh, this, why do you think they've been promoting like this, uh, this vegan and, and all this stuff over the last few years? Because they want to get civilization to a point where you don't have the proper intake when it comes to vitamins and nutrition and trace minerals. Because if you have the form of animal protein, then you get a more shall we say, a developed mind. And uh, you get the proper nutrition out of that because you get animal protein, or excuse me, you get 
things from animal protein that you can't substitute from anywhere else. So they have to discourage this right over the course of time. And so this is why we're seeing this big boom now and all this vegan. I'm not knocking anybody that that wants to live like that. That's fine. If I do buy uh, meat, then I do buy it when it's uh, organic. And I usually buy it locally if um, if at all possible. And I make sure because everything here is uh, is stamped as organic. So uh, I do buy it and I do buy it from a, um, shall we say, a sustainable and humane source. So uh, anyway, side issue. But they're saying responsible consumption and production patterns. See, now they're going to tell you what you can have and what you cannot have and how you're going to have it when you can have it. They're looking at achieving the sustainable management and efficient use of natural resources. What do we say about the water, right? You only get 25 liters of water a day, five gallons of water a day. That's all you get. That translates into you probably aren't going to have any running water in your house. And you think, okay, well, that's just crazy because we've already got it. No, 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 no. That's where these people want to take us. That's what this is. By 2030, have the per capita global food waste at the retail and consumer levels and reduce food loss along production and supply chains, including post-harvest losses. Uh, Marty, I think we could work in farmers subsidizing in all this. Yeah, I'm sure that would probably... uh, take precedent in a lot of that. And especially if you're having this global food supply chain like they've wormed us into, which is ridiculous, then that's all going to uh, it's all going to impact that. And as you've even said before, as it relates to the environment, which we're going to talk about the environment here shortly, having something that's out of season shipped in, how much damage does that do to the environment if they're so keen on that? The UN and the EU seem to be interchangeable. They want certain countries to train and develop certain types of skill sets they want certain countries to grow a particular you know type of produce and these foodstuffs are going to have to travel thousands of miles to get to people you're going to need these open borders because our countries aren't going to be training scientists and doctors and nurses we're just going to be training people to load vans by the sounds of it and Yeah, it's totally counterproductive as far as ecology is concerned. Let the countries grow what they can, let them feed themselves, eat food that is in season, that hasn't travelled thousands of miles, and lots of things will start to improve. Under the current, as you described, the global food chain, foodstuffs are travelling thousands of miles when they don't need to. So what are they going to do? They are going to pay farmers not to grow in certain countries. They are Mm going to pay people who raise cattle and um, livestock not to do so in certain countries. But it will still be done. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. And again, when you look at this on the face of it, it all seems perfectly nice. But when you drill down and realize what is going to actually have to happen for them to achieve their goals, they are going to change our lives into an unrecognizable state. So environmentally sound management of chemicals and wastes, uh, that means uh, basically oil is going to be gone. You know, any any other um, process that, that creates any kind of pollution is going to have to be heavily regulated and uh, taxed more than likely because it, it talks about um, air, water, soil, so on and so forth. They're wanting to reduce waste as far as uh, food waste, which means to reduce food waste, uh, both for the consumer level and for the production chains and our production level and supply chains. That means to what Marty was saying, you're only going to be allowed to grow certain things, but it's it's not going to be a you're going to grow it and we're going to ship it off to another country because that results in waste in the supply chain. So we can't do that. 
you're only going to be able to eat what you can grow in your country. So that's more or less what it looks like, unless you're all going to have freeze dried food, you know, unless they do something like that, in which case we're all going to have TV dinners all the time. I think that's Um, what they're after, Bruce. I I really do. Yeah, Yeah. I think it's that. And it's also, as you, to your point, Marty, where you said that uh, it's, it's all about outsourcing everything and tearing down borders. See, that's what they want to do. That's what they want to do, especially with this common agricultural policy from the EU. You could take that as a blueprint almost for what they want to do. The UN, I mean. And, and what that means is, is translated into layman's terms, they want to completely dissolve any form of identity, national or otherwise. They want everything integrated, no culture, no history, no form of anything that you can have a connection to that you're willing to stand up and fight for. I think that's what it comes down to. If you look at the chances that all of the NGOs, all of the charities, the UN itself have had to solve the problems within Africa, where you've, you've over, over the, the last few decades, you've had, you know, severe famine, and drought in certain parts of Africa, yet other parts of Africa have have had an abundance of food, really good land to raise cattle or grow food on, but they haven't solved the problem there. So what makes them think they're now going to solve it within the developed world as well? And in fact, why do they even feel they need to? Our countries are, you know, the United States of America and the UK can feed themselves. We don't need to import food. We do because we've been encouraged to want it. But I honestly believe that they're going to be, you know, trying to enforce certain countries will produce certain types of food. And that's what their GDP will be based on. That's what their industry will be based on. And they are going to be shipping food all over the world unnecessarily. Yes. And that goes to... Something that I had mentioned there coming up on this next point, which a couple of things. One, Bruce, have you noticed one thing? Do you know in the COVID-19 response, have you know, you know how they, they have that little section in each one of these goals? Have you noticed that? Yeah. Okay. Have you noticed there's, there's a key phrase in each one of those? Uh, not all of them, but it seems, okay, I shouldn't say in each one, but in most of them. Have you noticed what that key phrase is? Build back better. Have you noticed that? Hmm. Yeah, it sounds sounds awful familiar to Sounds some, awful uh, familiar. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like uh Joe Biden's campaign slogan. That's what it sounds like. Uh, GI1. Exactly like his. Um yeah. yeah, exactly like that. Okay. So, climate action. Now, there's not a lot here in in this one. Okay. They they're talking about like the International Panel on Climate Change, the report that they did, the uh the IPCC. Uh we can talk about the Kyoto Accords, we can talk about the Paris Accords and all that stuff, but I mean, that's long drawn up. We could probably do a podcast in and of itself on each one of those things. And to be fair, we talk a lot about climate action here anyway. We talk a lot about this man-made climate change stuff. So this is, in in my opinion, I mean, they're they're talking about how we need to do this because they're going to try and control temperatures and, and all that stuff. And the world's going to end in nine years or eight years or six years, whatever it is, whatever number they decide on. Like I said, we talk about this a lot. So I don't think we really need to get too in depth on this one. More to the point, the goals that they have picked out for this, it's nothing we haven't talked about before at nauseum time and again. But one thing that we can reference into this is the topic that I had mentioned about food traveling all over the place. If you're going to talk about climate change, if you're going to talk about environmental impact, well, that particular policy right there that the UN is fostering, no pun intended, that does a significant amount of damage. And on top of that, this electric car nonsense, okay, the Toyota Prius, for example, do you know how much money that thing costs to make? 
And then do you know how much travel time it has for each one of the components? It goes around the world, I think, almost twice over by the time it hits the lot for you to buy. I really don't think we need to get too in-depth into this. And it's up to you guys. Do you guys want to talk about climate action or do you want to skip over to uh, oceans? I would just like to say, isn't it very telling that this section, goal 13, is approximately one third the size on the piece of paper than all the other goals? It is. And I I think that is because they know there is next to nothing they can do about the climate. The climate is the climate. It, it's happening. And if they implemented all the other goals, they would still be creating pollution in doing so. And where is it? 13.2, integrate climate change measure, measures into national policy strategies and planning. Well, you mentioned the Paris Accords and the, the other agreements. Mm-hmm. And Green New Deal as well. Forgot about that one. All the yeah, but all the big countries have roundly ignored them. America pulled out of the Paris Agreement, as far as I'm aware. China yes. doesn't give a rat's behind about how much carbon it pumps into the air, as long as its industry is doing okay. So good luck, UN, in integrating climate change measures into national policies. It hasn't worked so far, and all of the major countries have totally ignored him. This one is so small because it's weaved into every one of these. Uh, Like the one we just talked about uh, before this, part of climate change is pollution, right? Well, we're supposed to reduce the waste and and pollution produced uh, in in the production of foods and products. You're you're supposed to reduce pollution in regards to housing. You're supposed to... they didn't really have to do much on this one because it's weaved into all the others uh, in some way. Yeah, that, that's a that's a very good point, Bruce. But this this idea of reindustrializing, building back better, or whatever the, the the phrase is, it all requires things to be manufactured. It all requires you know stuff to be used up, natural resources to be used up to do these things. And yeah, you're right. It is woven into everything. But if our deeply held fear is correct and that the actual plan is to reduce the population of the planet by about 80%, then all of those things will fit into place anyway. And I'm I'm only half joking when I say that if all of these things come to fruition and this way of life is forced on us, people aren't going to want to live that long anyway. But yeah, it's a short goal with a very few points, but I believe that really they know they can't achieve any of them because they haven't done thus far. I tend to agree, um, but I mean, this, this, that's their goal, right? Supposedly, that that's what they're... This is the global boogeyman, if you will. This is something that they can try to get the entire world to get behind and say, well, we have to do all these things because climate change. And if we don't do this, then we're all going to die. So it, it, it kind of, it, it'll, it'll fit into their agenda. And 14 and 15, I, I really don't see a whole lot there. I mean, they're just, all that is, is they're going to tell you what you can and can't do. Uh, they're going to seize land. And then that's, yeah, they're going to make sure that you don't disturb any ecosystem. Basically, they don't want you going anywhere. And then this right here, goal 16 and goal 17, I think we're going to be spending probably a good 15, 20 minutes on those, just them themselves, uh, because yeah. 17 kind of rounds it off for us. Uh, and then peace and justice and inclusiveness, that's going to, <laughs> that's going to be interesting. But the, if you the guys- fastest way to do, Well, the fastest way to do these is for you to rattle through it 
us to give our points on it and then move on. Okay, to well, the I'll next. tell you what. Okay, well, let's do this. Let, let's do this. Let's do. Let's combine fourteen and fifteen. How okay. about that? Because life below water and life on land. Okay, fourteen and fifteen. Because that's an ecosystem thing. So we can combine fourteen and fifteen. We can roll that in, and we can knock out two with to not really do any damage to the environment. But in this case, we can kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. And we're going to talk about saving birds. But okay. Um, so goal 14, goal 15. Okay. 14 is life below water. So they're talking about the oceans and waterways and things like that. And then 15, goal 15 is life on land, ecosystems and the like. So essentially we're going to, uh, let, let's tell you what, uh, let me see, life below water. Okay. So uh, back under the leadership of Barack Obama, the U.S tried to do something in in similar fashion with all this and they tried to use the EPA to well the EPA and the BLM right not Black Lives Matter but the Bureau of Land Management Bruce's favorite organization they tried to use these organizations to go after waterways in the United States they tried to use it to go after people's property and seize it under eminent domain meaning if you had a puddle and I I literally mean a puddle the size of your shoe on your property they would consider that to be standing water, and that is to be considered a marshland, and it can be seized under eminent domain. That's not a joke. Uh, and all of this is, uh, is is kind of looped into um, the UN agenda when it comes to waterways and things like that. Basically, all this boils down to at, at the end of it is they want to be able to control the waterways. They want to be able to control any form of development that's associated with that. Because what does civilization focus around? Water sources. Why do you think we have villages and towns and cities that grow up on the water? Because people have access to fresh water. So as a result, you have towns that grow up around those areas and villages and and whatnot in other parts of the world. That's what it is. So they need to be able to control that. As it was stated in UN Agenda 21, I believe, I, I believe that's where it was. If not, it was some other uh, nonsense. But I'm pretty sure it was under 21 because the map that was under UN Agenda 21, basically, as Bruce put it, I mean, we had a picture of that map up here for a while. We could probably find it and get it up again. But pretty much 90% of the United States is off limits. It's off limits. You can't go there. It's considered little or no access by humans. So you're not to go there unless you're given some kind of special permission. So essentially, it's them herding everyone up, putting you in those plastic cities where everything's track traced and controlled, and you can't go anywhere else. You can't be out there in nature because that's where we come from. That's where we resonate with. We're willing to fight for something like that. See, that's not what they want. They don't want people being uppity. Uppity is in looking forward to something, having confidence in yourself. No, no, no. They want us to be these mindless automatons walking around wearing masks all the time. Does that sound familiar? But- under Agenda 21, waterways, they tried to go as far. They floated this idea, which it's in this this stuff here. They floated this idea about, well, we need to, um, you know, we need to seize all the land that's within a mile of a fresh water source. So that pretty much gets rid of every single town and, and city and everything else that's within one mile of fresh water. So uh, I'm sorry, what? That's the mentality of these people. And more than that, they can go further with it when they go into uh, fisheries. And, and Marty, you can talk about the UK fisheries because I know that that's even still part of a, uh, of a there's a still a deal here with the uh, uh, or there's still talk amongst the deal about the Brexit thing about trying to get your fishing rights back from the EU. So you can talk on that again on land. Same thing, right? Same thing. They just want to be able to control where you can and cannot go. 
So under Agenda 21, as the same as under Agenda 2030, they don't want you having access to these places. Oh, yes, the elites and everything else. Oh, they're still going to be able to travel there. They're going to be able to travel under what's called sustainable ecotourism. So see, it's okay for them. See, it's all about making this world theirs and taking it away from you and I. There's no coexistence in this system. It's about their rule, their way. They're re-implementing the old class system. I've said it before. It's it's neo-feudalistic serfdom. They're the elites and the rest of us live in squalor. That's what it comes down to. And they don't want us having access to what they consider to be, quote, theirs. Part of uh, what, what they're wanting to do with, at least with the ocean bit, this would regulate things like offshore drilling uh, for oil. This would regulate things such as fishing, crabbing, you know, lobster, that, that sort of thing. It would also impact a transportation of goods uh, because we have to, you know, you have to reduce pollution. And one of the ways of polluting the ocean is... Uh, both drilling and fisheries or, or boats. So that fits into their whole narrative of, of control. And the, the map Johnny was referencing is, um, I don't believe there is very many places you can really live. I've just looked at that map. Uh, it's uh, absolutely, who's produced that nonsense? Yeah, that, that's part of the Agenda 21 Taken stuff. from the United Nations Convention on Biological Diversity. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's obviously just the states, but they must have a similar idea for the rest of the world as well, because it's the United Nations. There's a few things that are going wrong uh, as far as fisheries are concerned. You've got the factory ships fishing the North Sea and our cod reserves have been absolutely devastated by overfishing. And cod is the favorite fish of the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um the reason our brains, as as the developing humanoid creatures in you know all the way through evolution, the reason our brains developed so fast was because we learned how to fish. The um, nutrients you get from eating fish make your brain work better and grow bigger. So fishing is important, but at the same time, we do have to preserve our fish stocks, and that just wasn't happening or isn't happening. In, in the North Sea at the moment because the EU countries are fishing like crazy in our waters and we need to stop that. One of the other things, it's not fishing, it's whaling. Why the hell, or if they really were serious about these things, the United Nations would have stopped Japanese whaling fleets from decimating the Pacific of the whale species that, 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 that they hunt. No one needs to eat whale. No one needs the blubber for oil lamps anymore. There's plenty of, you know, much more sustainable fish protein to eat or, you know, seafood to eat than whales. Um, one of the other points, and this, this might sound a bit disjointed, but there's a screensaver. Microsoft provided it. It's very nice. And it's supposed to be the most relaxing landscape to look upon. There's a mountain, there's forest for security and firewood, there's running water and standing water, and there's meadowlands, which as a human being, our mind is predisposed to look at that that image and think we could live there. That's a safe place to live. You know, it, it provides you with everything you need. And yeah, we want our ecosystems to be preserved. But at the same time, we as human beings should also be able to access nature and wildlife and enjoy it. In fact, the more people who get to enjoy it, the more chance there is that it will be protected 
and become sustainable. One of the big things, or I, I mentioned this in, in one of the earlier episodes of Agenda 2030, that I'd be quite happy for my tax money to go to a country that has no choice but to uh, cut down its rainforests to give them something else. We don't need that timber. We don't need that palm oil that's um, ruining the uh you know, the, the habitat of the orangutan, for instance, in, in Southeast Asia. We don't need it. We've got alternatives. And I think that's the thing that's most important is that those alternatives are used. But this totalitarian shutdown of that, I, I can't believe that map uh, and what they're suggesting. The buffer zones, highly regulated use, core reserves and corridors, little or no, no human use. They've got Indian reservations obviously, because they've got to be very politically correct. And so people can carry on doing whatever they're doing inside Indian reservations, you know, with trailer parks and casinos. But the rest of the country has to be shut down and people's access to it limited. It's it's just an outrageous idea. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, it, it is uh, totally outrageous. Which, by the way, I, I want to point out that um, uh, the the area for Indian Reservation in Oklahoma, specifically, which I'm, I'm from Oklahoma, so I, I understand um, the, the size of the reservation in that area. The majority of the state is um, Indian Reservation, and they That's get a little right bit the, the near near the top in the center of the map. And mm-hmm. it's a huge pink area. That is a, a massive reservation, isn't it? Yeah, but that's way up north. That's that's in like South Dakota, uh, up up north. Uh, if you go further south, just above Texas, yeah, that's where we're we're like the little. Oh wow, that's even pan. bigger. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, but but the area um, as far as the actual reservation currently in Oklahoma versus what they're showing in this map is um, quite disjointed, and the area that you can live, it's. Literally the large city or basically the capital, Oklahoma City. That, that's yeah. the only area. So it, it is completely absurd. I agree with some of the concepts of trying to help, you know, not overfishing. Uh, I don't want to pollute our oceans, uh, both with um, solid matters such as like plastics and those kinds of things and oil and, you know, so on and so forth. I, I, I would prefer not uh, polluting those things. But it's not the it's not the job of a government body to come in and say you can't do this. It should be the job of the free market to say, hey, we we we've created a more efficient, we've created a cleaner, we've created a you know some other system that protects these things. And much like what you're saying with the woodlands and stuff, the forests that are being chopped down for whatever uses that we we find. There's other alternatives that we can use that do the same thing, do a better job, and are more sustainable. So so to be fair to the UN, in some ways the the earlier goal about making things a bit more even across the globe. You can't just say, right, Brazil, we don't want your hardwoods from the rainforest anymore. And we can't say to Southeast Asia, we don't want your palm oil unless we provide them with an alternative. And those alternatives need to be provided, but they could have been provided a long, long time ago. You know, the, the way in which... Agenda 2030 is being presented. It's as if the United Nations have done nothing since its inception. They have not trying to do it all now. And and you know what? I think you're right. They haven't done anything. It's a it's a good old boys club for third world dictators. That's all it is. That's that's all it is. And it allows them to appoint people to it. 
And they can then turn around and dictate to the rest of the world what they want based on uh, treaties and trade agreements rather than by legislation. And it's nonsense. It's nonsense. If the UN, for example, the Unidir Treaty, right, that was a big thing. Bruce, you remember that one, the UN gun confiscation plan? Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The only thing that the U.S. has to do and the only reason they haven't gotten it through in the U.S. up to this point is because we've had a Republican controlled Senate. And believe me, I'm no fan of that party. But at least when it comes to this, most of the time they stop this nonsense. When they present a treaty to the U.S., the only thing that it has to go through, the only process it has to go through is ratification by the U.S. Senate. That's it. And then it goes. And then I think they tried to run that gun control thing by the uh, uh, by the Senate. And I don't think it ever amounted to anything. But nonetheless, this is what they want. And now the UN's out there. I, I heard this this morning. I don't know if there's any validation to it. I have to go and double check this. But I heard this this morning. And they said that I heard it on a, another podcast. And it was referenced to the Unidir Treaty or another treaty like it that has now been conjured up by the UN, which is global disarmament for world peace, of course, you see, because that's a noble cause. And they're asking the Swiss to sign on to this, of all people, because they've taken the guns pretty much everywhere else, I'm sorry to say. They took them from the Aussies 20 years ago. Look what those poor people are dealing with down there. Uh, and I, yeah, anyway. Okay, let's... Uh, a nice segment, by the way. Let's uh, let's jump to 16 and 17. Let's uh, do 16. 16, promote peace. Excuse me. Promote just, peaceful, and inclusive societies. So peace, justice, and strong institutions. This ought to be good. First of all, peace, justice, and strong institutions. This is being dictated to us from upon high by a group of people that have done nothing since 49. Okay, let's just start with that. So and you think, okay, well, that's a negative note. Well, this is a negative organization because nothing up to this point in all three parts of this that we've covered, I don't see anything positive out of any of this because they're going to fundamentally alter every person's life on this planet. Every single man, woman, and child, your life will be changed, not from an international standpoint, right? Not from a top-down thing. This is a policy that's going to be implemented from the local level. That's what's so dangerous about this is they're going to take this international agenda and they're going to implement it down to you at the local level. So you can't run away from it. See, if it's a top down thing, that's easy enough to combat. But if it's implemented at the local level through your local councils or your local city officials, whatever, then that's how they're going to do it. And of course, this is going to be carried out simultaneously at state and federal levels as well. But they say here that this is what they want to do. Now, unless you actually get rid of a human condition of conflict and, and resolution and you know, aggression and, and all that stuff, unless you get rid of that, then there's no way you're going to do this. It says significantly reduce all forms of violence and related death rates everywhere. Well, with Bill uh, Gates' vaccination that will make us all placid... That'll work. True. So that'll okay. move on. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Fair point. End abuse. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Believe me, I would love for that to happen. I would love for that to happen. End exploitation and trafficking and all forms of violence against and torture of children. Okay. I'm all for that. I'm all for that. But how okay, are you going good. to do Is that going to include circumcision for- That's a good question. In, in, within, within Judaism? I mean, That's obviously- Female circumcision is an act, or female genital mutilation, uh, as it should be known, it happens mm -hmm. across the developing countries mm -hmm. because of really screwed up ideas and, yep. and religious beliefs and, and cultural beliefs. So what are they going to do? Uh, the best way to do that, well, one of the ways of, uh, of achieving 16.2 would be to ban religion. I'm up for that. 
Sorry, Bruce. I know you're That's... a man of faith. So am I. But, you know, there, there's so many things done in the name of religion. And, and uh, that's a Marxist ideal. I know that I'm expressing there. But um, yeah, well, that's what this organization is. I'm sorry. Because, I mean, OK, let, let's let's look at 16.5. Substantially. Redu- uh, this is laughable. Coming from the U.N., this is too rich. Substantially reduce corruption and bribery in all their forms. OK, so if that's the case, you people wouldn't exist. Uh, develop effective mm accountable and transparent institutions at all levels. If that's the case, then most governments would be out of business by this point. Same thing with corporations. If they yeah. had to... Uh, um, well, go ahead. All the all the backdoor stuff, all, all the, you know, we call it the whip, mm-hmm. which is basically each party has a whip. That's yep. one of their MPs that goes around and tries to ensure that everybody is voting the party line. Smoky um, backroom deals. And- yeah, the whole house of cards things, you know, the way the votes go and the decisions are made. I'm a little bit for that, actually, because I want to see uh, a UK parliament of independence and I want party politics to be banned. I'm not part of the, you know, the the cancel society movement, but I do want to see those things that I think are detrimental, the way we're governed, to be changed. We shouldn't be scared of change. We have to change and we have to adapt, improvise and overcome to quote Clint Eastwood from a really good film. Um, but, you know, are they really going to tear down those governments? Because they'd be, they'd be kicking the stool from under themselves, wouldn't they? Because they are yeah. corrupt and they are not transparent and, and all of those things that they're saying things should be. It's not. So if you want to be more transparent and you want to get rid of corruption, simple way of doing it is, uh, for example, yeah, we're going to allow insider trading. Well, gets rid of corruption and it's being transparent. So simply legalizing their corruption would be both transparent and it would not be illegal. They would they would get rid of corruption. So good point. But it's also that one. It's also them controlling the institutions themselves. See, if they if they. If they get rid of that institution and they, if they replace it, if they advocate for that replacement, which like it does in 16A, strengthen relevant national institutions, including through international cooperation for building capacity at all levels, in particular in developing countries to prevent violence and combat terrorism and crime. That just means that they want to control the agenda that's being put forth within those institutions. A thought has just occurred to me. Do you think that the UN have put forward all these things, knowing that the place where it all needs to be applied is in with, within the developing countries because you you can't put a law or a policy out that is discriminatory against certain individuals. All members have to come under the same policy because right the way through this, from one now and we're on now, now on number sixteen, all of it's already happening in our own countries. We are already complying with equality. We're already looking at more sustainable, eco-friendly way of ways of doing things. Why do we need the United Nations to put, you know, this policy together and, and try to implement it? Do you think it's just because they couldn't fairly do it without a huge outcry on the nations where it's really needed. It's a power grab. So they're looking to see the world elite like this. They've been able to kind of steer the direction in, in which the ship moves, but they haven't been able to quite control it. So they've kind of nudged the agenda in that direction for a good number of years now. And now seems to be the time that they're looking to uh, to pounce on it, because if you notice, all governments have pretty much 
as you said, capitulated to this. They've all kind of signed on with this. Same thing with the corporations. The reason the corporations are on board with it is because the governments have been told to give them financial incentives and tax breaks in order to foster that agenda. So rather than the companies and people coming along like example, like guys like Elon Musk, I'm just using him as an example. I know there's more, but he's the most prominent and everyone knows him. That's real innovation. And instead of real innovation taking place, you've had stifled innovation. You've had directed innovation, steered innovation. We should have been a lot further along than where we are now. I'll give you an example of this. They're pushing this electric car garbage, right? This electric car and, and all this stuff. That's what they're pushing. The reason they're pushing that is because that's where the money goes, because they have stocks in those companies. They have investments in those companies to be able to have those companies put forward. About 15, 20 years ago, you had a company named Honda come along. They developed a hydrogen fuel cell. And what's unique about hydrogen? Well, apart from the fact that we can manufacture it and it's it's pretty much a, a renewable and inexhaustible form of fuel. And more than that, it's clean. And when I say clean, I'm talking about the only thing that comes out of that exhaust is water vapor. That's it. Now, why would an organization such as the United Nations or anyone else that's pushing this extreme climate change stuff, why on earth would they not want to get on board with that? Because that would shut the coal and the petrol industry down, petrochemical industry down. They would shut them down. It would put them out of business. That's real innovation. But it was stopped. It was stopped because the world elite and the companies don't have investments in it and that it serves them no purpose in order to do that. So for them to actually promote real innovation, it's not going to happen. It's going to be innovation that they can control. And hence why we, we talked about with the Great Reset with the World Economic Forum, it's innovation that they control. It's not innovation that gets developed naturally through the free market. See, they don't want to take what works. They want to vertically integrate everything and control the agenda and society going forward because they have a God complex. See, when we have th this is why they want to run it. Uh, what was it? They want to run it parallel or hor horizontal. I'm sorry. They want to horizontally integrate at the communal level. I think that was one of the points that you actually keyed on when we talked about um, uh, the, the reset. So they're looking to control how things are put forward to us, the public. See, they don't want us to have access to anything that can rise and can compete with them that will be a threat to them and put them out of business and make them irrelevant. So they're trying to stifle innovation and control innovation. So something like a, quote, disruptive technology, which is what they consider something to be, like a hydrogen fuel cell, for example, they consider that to be a disruptive technology because they can't control it. And so therefore, we don't get access to it. Example, CD-ROMs, okay, CDs. <clears throat> that was patented back in the late 50s and early 60s. But what happened? We didn't see it until the late 80s, early 90s because it was a, quote, disruptive technology. Touchscreen phones, right? We should have had those back in the late 70s, early 80s, but we didn't have them until last 15 years, 10, 15 years. You just started to see them. They were really expensive about 15 years ago. But the last 10 years, especially, that's when we started to see them. And so it's a matter of them maintaining control. They just don't want to lose that control. So they'll do whatever they need to do. They'll throw in whatever wrenches they need to do or throw in whatever wrenches they need to in order to stifle that possible competition that can arise. This is why we're seeing the attacks on our nations and why we're seeing the attacks on our cultures, our history, our values, our way of life. We're being demeaned at every turn because we are their potential competition. They know that they don't stand a chance against real capitalism, real innovation, real competition. They don't stand a chance in any of that stuff. They've stolen and smooshed and, and, and Brown knows their way up to the top and they've bought it all off through fake money that they've printed. They can't do it legit. 
I'm glad you're making this argument because this totally fits in with it exactly what the goal is saying, goal 16. That's why we need to have transparent and legal systems at all levels. So you're right. yes, clearly you're, that'll but, yeah. totally fix what you're, what you're but talking not, about here. But not for their level. They're exempt from it. I, I get it. I get it. This is a classic play. This has been done before centuries ago. In the you know Great Britain, it was all about the robber barons who could get the biggest gang of thugs together, grab a load of land, claim someone as king, then get laws passed down using religion as the divine right of kings as a reason for people to follow those laws that prevented anyone from doing what those robber barons had just done. And this is the same thing. They exhausted the planet as far as petrochemical and you know fossil fuels are concerned. Now they've got to a point where they've invested enough into the electric car and, and all that kind of stuff so that that can now be the new best thing. Because uh, and and they will they'll they'll pull the rug from under us as far as our way of life our diesel cars our petrol cars and force us down this road and in some places electric cars are simply not practical unless of course you stick to that map that we saw or we were talking about earlier on where you can hardly go anywhere apart from the developed cities and towns already if you want to get out into the countryside you've got to find charging points what are they going to do they're going to fit them right the way across through the wilderness no it's it's becoming more and more scary they've done it before and they seem to be doing it again they're just using an old tactic that is to take what they want and then make their right to own it legal and prevent anyone else from doing what they've done Mm-hmm. How do you? My question for all of this is: How do you? In, how do you implement all this stuff on an international level when you have nations that are un like their culture sees different groups differently? So you, you have uh, countries with caste systems. You have countries that view women less or differently than men. You have. How are you going to get them to jump on board with this when it's ingrained in their culture? We're talking about the Middle East, aren't we? Really. When we're talking about that, um, and India, that and, and India, yeah. yeah. And there, there's an old joke about Star Trek, and the new film comes out, and a Saudi prince is sat next to the director watching the film, and he says, um, "It is strange. Why are there no Arabs on the on the Star Trek Enterprise?" He says, "That's because it's set in the future. Once these um, once these measures get put into place, these nations that." will either conform or not conform. If they don't conform, they'll become rogue nations. And that's the full might of the United Nations. And by that, I don't mean the actual UN itself, but the other, the rest of the world will gang up and destroy them. That's what will happen. If they don't conform, they'll be destroyed. And I think they don't care that people can see through this because at the end of the day, they're going to do what they're going to do because they're doing it with impunity. And it all comes down to uh, 17, right? The final point, partnerships for the goals. And this is how they tie it all together. They take all the uh, the governments and uh, things such as like the global humanitarian response, the World Food Program, the Response and Recovery Trust Fund, the World Health Organization, the UN Foundation, the Solidarity Response Fund, all, all this stuff, right? They, they take all these these organizations that they've created and they tie it all together. They get, they get countries that'll get on board with it, as you said. They talk about how they're going to tie in finance, they're going to tie in technology. 
technology. They're going to tie in capacity building. They're going to try to tie in trade. They're going to tie in systemic issues. <laughs> We've been hearing that a lot lately. They're yeah. going to talk about tying in stakeholder partnerships, which do you know what stakeholder capitalism is? That's communist China. You can have your business, but well, the government's going to tell you what you can and can't do with that business. That's stakeholder capitalism. Policy and institutional coherence. Uh-huh. You're going to have minders for everything. Uh, data and monitoring and accountability. That's going to be coming up. Uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of tech stuff uh, in the coming days. That's going to be all with that. So this is how they're going to tie it all together. And this is what it is. This is the vertical integration of everything. You've got the ones at the top, the robber barons, as you put them. That's a fantastic term. I mean, I've been hearing that for a good number of years now. Robber barons. That's what they were back in the day. That's what they were. They were robber barons. And now that they're at the top, now that these people have stolen their way all the way to the top, they're pulling the ladder up. No one else is going to have a chance to compete. So this is where you it put goes. That much more nicely than I did, but well done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but here's the thing. It, people aren't going to go, go with on. it. People aren't going to go along with it. I, I really don't. Because once, as you said, once it hits their doorstep, things are going to change. Th things are going to change. You look, you look at the two major countries within the, the Middle East, uh, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. Mm -hmm. um, I've lived in both countries. They rely on oil. That is what they rely on. And if these ecological polluting, anti-pollution policies are fully implemented, those two countries will be absolutely impoverished. Do you know, it's, it's, to my mind, it's no coincidence that the new crown prince in Saudi is looking at making things more liberal and tolerant and open. They're letting women drive now, which is a brand new thing in, in, in the last year or so within Saudi. In the United Arab Emirates, it had its first Israeli airliner land in Abu Dhabi airport just last week. So things, those two countries in particular, have always worked with the West and they will continue to do so. But if the oil goes then how are they going to sustain themselves? Or rather, if their right to you know produce oil and petrochemicals goes because of these policies, how will those two countries sustain themselves? That's a fair point. And again, that's why I said, I mean, real innovation. I mean, I, I, I believe we should move away from petrochemicals. But if we do, where does that leave those two countries, as you said? Unfortunately, we are out of time, gentlemen. Um, and it's it's been fascinating to sit down and finally finish this off. Uh, and I'm glad we did. We are going to have to end. Marty, you mentioned next time we want to do something along the lines of grinding my gears or my two cents or something like that. We're just going to weigh in on a, on a laundry list of things. Yeah. Yeah. We'll try and steer them away from the political because I think yeah. our listening audience knows uh, what grinds our gears politically. But there's other things, other things in life about how we interact with people every day. It might be worthwhile just to take a step back from these very serious and scary topics and just talk about something a bit more personal. And it sounds like a great idea. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. And I believe Mr. Campbell is going to be joining us again for that one as well. Yes. I'll try and round my posse up. Yeah. Very good. Okay. So we're going to have to end. Thank you guys for sitting down today. For those of you who have not, and you would like to, please do give us a follow on the social media platform of Parlor. Love getting your echoes, your likes, your feedbacks, your comments, your upvotes, all the above. You can follow me over there at Anderson 3 You can follow Marty at Marty Foster. Also, if you would like to reach out to us and you don't want to reach out to us on social media, you can do so anytime by dropping us an email at tips at dynamicindependence.com. 
And we would humbly ask you to pass this along to friends and family. We're trying to grow our audience as much as possible and trying to find like-minded people right now while all this is going on is getting ever more difficult. So if you could pass this along to friends, family, and known associates, we would greatly appreciate that. Thank you all very much. Also, if you're rating podcasts, please drop over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating at your convenience or any other respective platform you listen to us on. If you could give us a rating, we would appreciate that very much. Five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. Marty, Bruce, thank you guys for your time tonight. Good night, man. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you and we love freedom and independence. And together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow.